If you're a founder, you know that fundraising is a big part of the job. What you might not know is that Carta is there to help. Carta's new fundraising suite provides startups of all stages the best tools and support to easily issue safes, accurately forecast solution, and quickly close funding rounds. Save time, money, and make your next round your best yet. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnBest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Alexa Von Tobel. And this week, I want you to meet Aaron Bali the co-founder and CEO of Carbon Health, the tech-enabled healthcare company that is transforming the primary care, urgent care, and virtual care experience. Aaron grew up in Turkey and was a star mathematician, winning awards in mathematics, physics, computer science, and chess, including the International Mathematical Olympiads. Before settling out to democratize healthcare, Aaron paved the way to make education possible by founding Udemy. Udemy is the world's largest marketplace for online courses with over 50 million students worldwide. And the company just recently IPO'd in October of 2021. Aaron started Carbon Health in 2016 and has since opened hundreds of locations and raised over $500 million in venture funding. Let's welcome Aaron. Aaron, first of all, thank you so much. Um, I personally am so excited to have you on today because I have so many things I've been wanting to ask you as somebody who's followed your work for a really long time. So let's start just by saying welcome. Thank you very much, Alexa, for having me. My pleasure. So let's go uh, first things first. In your own words, what is Carbon Health? Carbon Health is a modern, very consumer-centric healthcare provider. So we provide primary care, urgent care, virtual care type of services. Um, And really what makes Carbon unique is we want to provide the best healthcare we can provide in a way that's accessible to majority of the population, in a way that's accessible to an average American, average teacher, average retail employee can use. So, and to be able to do this, we wanted to control every aspect of the patient experience and also to provide this experience. So we deeply integrated uh, the entire software platform for healthcare delivery. We, we built everything from the ground up and we also own clinics. We provide virtual care services and we have a large uh, clinician base that we directly employ, um, and we even more and more like in, get into hardware. So we're trying to d- deeply integrate ser- services, software, and even hardware now to really elevate the healthcare experience that that is accessible to most people in this country. Before I dive in, because I have so many things I want to ask you, one of the things that I have been struck by you from afar is you know you started Udemy, ten million people that you educate now worldwide. Uh, in, the, in the company, you know, just recently IPO'd. And now Carbon Health, which is really focused on helping the, there's there's missions behind both companies, very powerful ones. Can we just start with, have you always been a mission-oriented founder? I don't know. I, I actually don't like putting that label on myself, even though most people usually consider me that way. But really, for me, I grew up in a small village in Turkey, right? So and education and healthcare were the most like inaccessible things that uh, there were other things which were hard to access there, but they were the ones that obviously bother you the most. So, so I, uh, my 
a lot of my entrepreneurial activity from the two companies I started and, and my investments also are usually around how do you take something that is very important for majority of the population and you try to use technology to make that concept more accessible. So in education world, it wasn't even education. I thought about like learning a new skill as the most effective way to improve your life. If you think about most people who just made a positive change in their life, they usually start by just learning a new skill, taking a new job, changing careers. So I thought like we should make that more accessible somehow. And in the healthcare side, it was a similar situation where I was somewhat disappointed that there were all these technology-enabled healthcare providers, but all of them were trying to become healthcare provider for Google employees. And it didn't feel like there was anybody who was trying to uh, be a very differentiated healthcare provider for Home Depot employees, right? So it is like that kind of lack of focus from the healthcare space to this like really just normal people where you still have to, you have to make this affordable. So I, I acknowledge those as like a huge gap in like the, the investments or like focus from the tech companies versus the needs. So like I do care about really just taking these things and make it more widely accessible. And I guess if that makes me mission-driven entrepreneur, let's just, let's go, let's go with yes. Yeah, I will say you care about bringing things to the masses that they deserve. One of my core questions on Carbon Health was, you really set out to rebuild healthcare in the United States from the ground up. What were the fundamental pain points that you thought about as you were getting Carbon Health off the ground? So there were a couple of ones, right? One is, first of all, the cost was like really high. Like anybody who comes to the United States from another country is shocked by how expensive healthcare is. And you feel really bad for the person who's not super rich. And like you really think about how does somebody working at a normal job, like a lower, even, even honestly, middle class, like is way too expensive. That's number one. The second part is it is a real bad customer patient experience, despite this really high cost. So those are like the kind of more, more big, big problems. And there were other problems, but really I thought the solution was all coming to the same thing, which is somebody should really think about what the healthcare experience we want for ourselves look like, which is what I did. 2015, it was right around Christmas. I just sat down and say, let's stop complaining and say like, what is the healthcare experience I want more for myself and my children? I just started sketching everything from how do I want to sign up to this new healthcare provider? How do I want to schedule my appointment, onboard myself, talk about my needs, uh, how do I want to get my care plans after the visits? Like, how do I want my providers to follow up with me and track my health? Uh, how, how does prevention work within this thing? I started sketching uh, actual user interfaces and screens and ideas. And I, I think it was like 200 different sketches uh, between the Christmas and New Year's, like the five days. And I said, like, this is the healthcare experience I want for myself. But, and at this point, I'm, I'm somewhat like, like affluent, right? So I can go buy any concierge physician practice subscription I want. But what really struck me was nothing from the things that I sketched out was necessarily expensive. Because really what I was looking for was not larger luxury exam rooms and like a physician who spends two hours uh, with me for my sinus infection. Like, it's just like, I, I don't care about any of these things and most people don't either. 
I just want all of my consumer interactions to be digitized and productized, ideally with a mobile phone. So that that is obvious. Like I want to be able to do everything from my phone. And outside the phone interaction, the, the actual human interaction, I want a compassionate provider to spend just enough time with me, no more, no less. And then after the, the and I want the software to actually act as a complement to my providers, to my doctors. I want the software to follow up with me and track my data. I want to be able to put my data in it. I want to be able to connect my personal diagnostic devices. So all these ideas that I just thought was like, this is like, this is the best healthcare I can imagine. And it turns out if we are willing to invest in the R&D for it, you can make it accessible to just the average person in this country without any incremental cost. And that was like so exciting, the idea that you can take somebody which is so needed by virtually every single person, right? Like every single person needs healthcare access. And you can just make it 10 times better without increasing the cost. That was super exciting. So I just couldn't, like I couldn't stop myself from wanting to start this company. I love it. And obviously you founded Carbon Health in 2016. And as it was up and running, you literally had COVID happen. Mm-hmm. How did COVID change your business? So we started in 2016 and I would say 16 to 19 were the three years where we really wrote software for really heavily for three years. We built an infrastructure from EHR and practice management and prescription labs, imaging, payments. Like, so we, we wrote a lot of infrastructure. We built a lot of infrastructure. At that time phase, we did not scale the company that much. We just intentionally wanted to nail all the unit economics, customer experience, productivity before we scaled the company. Because I, I knew healthcare was a complex service industry. You cannot optimize things when you are very large. So we just really took three years of optimization time. And 19 was when we were finally starting to scale the company. So we had, I think, 25 leases we signed to open clinics in 2020. That, that, that was going to be our first big year. And 2020, January happened. So we are now kind of nervously watching the pandemic kind of in China. And a couple of our executives, our VP of product, IO, and our chief medical officer, they were very closely following it. And they were very nervous. They, they thought this will become a worldwide pandemic. And honestly, I'll admit at the, that moment, I just didn't fully believe that. Uh, but they just convinced me that this is very serious. And we started checking, putting some tracking to see whether anybody had travel history. And we realized there were two patients literally that week in January who had come from Wuhan, China to San Francisco Bay Area. And they came to our clinics with respiratory symptoms. So we are early on realized that it was already in the community. And I honestly, it was an extremely stressful situation because we did not know much about COVID-19. And in Italy, if you look at it, a lot of, like 10% of people who died in Italy were healthcare workers. So it was really concerning for my employees. So we were like very nervous. I mean, I honestly we did not even know what to do. If anything, we assumed we were not going to like survive the pandemic. Like we assumed we had to, we might have to shut down the clinics and reduce staff and really just kind of wait until the pandemic goes away. But our clinical teams really wanted to double down and just say, they, they just said, it doesn't make sense for us to lean back when the world is fighting a pandemic and we are the people who can help. So they made the decision to just lean into the pandemic and become a very active provider. And then I just really brought together the entire company and said, our focus is now 
respond to this pandemic in the best of our abilities. And I actually drafted 12 ideas. And over the next 12 months, we actually implemented pretty much all of them. We had mobile trailers going to underserved communities in California to test them. We launched services like clinical data sets for researchers. We launched uh, later on vaccination platform, like uh, operations. It was a lot of things. And those things can change the situation from us likely dying, like, like, like not surviving the pandemic, to then they, they, those things we did got really strong reception from people. And it actually caused the company to grow even faster than we were thinking. I think we end up growing maybe two and a half times faster than we anticipated. And that part was also very hard because, look, if you have an app which goes viral, it's not that easy, right? Like to, if you, you have your app grow by 10x. But scaling an actual services company with physical locations with humans by 10x in a year, that was really crazy. Honestly, I, I think we did a good job like taking it, but it was probably one of the hardest things we, we, have, we have ever done. Aaron, knowing that you have the benefit of being not just a founder, a serial founder with, with now two very, very successful companies, and knowing that you had to scale something incredibly hard through a, a time of a load of uncertainty, what would you say were the biggest things that you learned through, now that you can kind of step back for a moment? Mm-hmm. What were the takeaways of you grabbing, like literally trying to make the most of your mission statement and in, in what you guys believe in? But what did you learn? Yes, I think two things that we learned. The first one is assuming karma exists. So we have a business framework which says if you do the right thing consistently for a long time, you are going to get rewarded disproportionately. So we just really didn't calculate what was going to happen. We just said we have technology, we have operations, we have clinicians. How can we help? And we just will focus on how we can help the most without really commercially thinking about the commercial details. And that actually just brought so much like return that we had never calculated. So first of all, we built a lot of super fans. There are a ton of people who just like when I met them, they would say like, I'm such a big fan of Carbon. I, I just love what you guys are doing to help with the pandemic, going to just towns which nobody else goes to, like where we had 25, 30% positivity rates in some of the places we went, right? So like essentially all the positive things we did was observed by other people and they helped us scale. Like we got a ton of help that we did not even pay for because or the super fans. I would say the second thing is respecting the craft. Scaling, especially complex sources like this, is not just a matter of like scaling servers on some like outsourcing. There's a lot of legal and HR and operations and kind of real estate development and clinical management. So there are maybe 15, 20 different disciplines that go into doing what we do. And I deeply respect the craft of each of them. So all these people really thought about, okay, we are in this really unprecedented time. How can my my operation, my craft help us manage this type of growth? And really we just, like we invested in like everything simultaneously. We invested in operational oversight. We invested in, like we invest in things that like most startups usually ignore. I think one of the problems that, one of the things that makes most tech companies fail at more real-world stuff is they think too much about just software 
and they don't respect other crafts that much. They don't respect HR. They don't respect operations. And I think that was like what we did well. I want to ask a few questions about how you think about the business. And one of the things um, that you've said is that you, you aim to scale to 1,500 physical locations nationwide by 2025. Mm-hmm. And given just the rise of telemedicine, how do you think about the digital health wave that we are all quite literally living through and watching mm-hmm. and the fact of the marriage of the physical? How do you think about that? Yeah, so there is a concept which I have, I, I, I called omnichannel healthcare like five years ago when we first started. The idea is that you want to meet the patients where they need your help and then you want to hold their hand throughout the whole journey. And in practice, you have to tightly integrate physical locations, virtual care, diagnostic devices like blood pressures and connected glucose monitoring uh, sensors. You just want to take all these things that are tools for you to provide care and you want to deeply integrate in a way patient never thinks about what they should be doing next. So I never believed in pure telemedicine, right? Because at the end of the day, I myself still go to physical locations all the time. And I do not, like I or most patients, do not want their care to be fragmented between a telemedicine provider here, a PCB they, they visit, another urgent care clinic they might go over the weekends or at nights. And then maybe there's some like third-party apps and devices which are, again, completely disjointed to everything else. This type of disjointed fragmentation and primary care is, is really, really bad for primary care, for, for patients. So what we have always built in is that you just have to bring all these things together because what that urgent care clinic does versus what this primary care does or the data you put on your app, they are fairly relevant to each other. So, so we always like build in this kind of omnichannel vision. And if anything, we have just kind of gotten more and more omnichannel over time. So I think 1,500 locations, that's, that just gives us a na- the first na- nationwide primary care network, which is completely connected. But on top of the virtual care services, on top of the diagnostic devices, preventive tools, so like the clinics and virtual, in my mind, are not separable. I love that. Um, another topic I wanted to ask you about that I thought you had just really, really fascinating views on is you said one of the biggest challenges for the American healthcare is that it's inextricably linked to employment, a problem that's only growing with the rise of the gig economy and the creator economy. So how do you think about insurance and employment and how do you think that they could be decoupled in the future? How do you think about what that's going to look like, given that we expect that within the next five years, about 50% of the economy in some capacity will be touching more like gig work? Yes. So fundamentally, I don't believe the concept of insurance, health insurance bad, because look, even if we're doing this from the ground up, Healthcare costs are pretty big costs and they are like, you can get hit by a car, you can get cancer and some of the streamers are going to be very expensive. So it doesn't make sense to have some sort of insurance model so that a healthcare problem does not bankrupt, like bankrupt you. So the concept of insurance is not necessarily bad in my mind. Like, like if we were doing it over, we would, do it, we would have insurance again. I think the problem is the health insurance is too reliant on your employment. And your employer might change. And each time you are going from one employer to another employer, you are essentially resetting your coverage. So, which means the insurance companies do not have a lot of incentive for your long-term health management because the average plan, I think, is hold by two years. So ideally, 
like you would actually get your first insurance coverage maybe personally, I'm just like maybe when you are 18 years old. And that coverage goes on until you're like 75, 80 years old. So ideally, I think you can keep your insurance coverage going from like employer to employer. And even if you're a geek economy employer or working as a company, uh, so, um, so that there's continuity in the payments and healthcare providers have to couple directly with the payers to just manage the patient's care. Because reality is like, insurance companies don't have a lot of tools to reduce costs, but we primary care providers do have like tools to reduce costs. So I think those are the two things. So decouple from jobs and make it more personal and have incentivize more payer part, provide their direct partnership is the I think, way to go. If you step back and you look 10 years out, mm-hmm. if you get to make a prediction or two, just given that you really have such an incredible point of view on kind of the future of healthcare, what would you say is your biggest prediction or two? So the biggest secular shift in healthcare that I'm seeing is healthcare providers still to date are legacy services companies. So they hire people, they use third-party out-of-box, usually really outdated software, and they're not, they're just kind of, they typically are started to close a service hole in one market. I think a lot more of the healthcare services are going to be done by these more vertically integrated healthcare providers. Companies which actually have technology capabilities, have actual providers, have physical locations, but they really focus on like bringing together any tool they can do to really make a particular type of care better. And this is not just carbon, right? So like kidney care, diabetes, hypertension, oncology, all of those, like every single vertical is going to have this vertically integrated companies which deeply integrate technology operations, clinical to improve care in certain certain dynamics. And these things have been already happening. So in the next five, last five years, since I started Carbon, there's definitely a huge rise of technology in about healthcare providers. But if I made a prediction, I'm guessing still less than a percent of all healthcare is done by technology-enabled companies. So my biggest guess is like it will be 20, 30%. So just like e-commerce went from stores, like as just commerce went from stores to more and more digital first companies. I think healthcare is going to go from legacy physical location-based companies to more and more technology-first healthcare providers. And Carbon Health has been definitely one of the companies which has been almost like popularizing this transition. Alexa here. Not only do I get the opportunity to speak with all types of founders on, for starters, but I'm a repeat founder myself. We all know how vital fundraising is to a startup. Carta knows this too. That's why they had founders in mind when they created their fundraising suite, providing tools and support to take the friction out of fundraising. They save founders time and money, allowing you to focus on your goals, not the admin work needed to close around. From simply issuing safes to quickly receiving funds, Carta Fundraising Suite helps their cap table customers raise a better fundraising round. To learn more or to get started, go to carta.com forward slash fundraise. That's carta.com forward slash fundraise. Aaron, I want to transition a little bit to you because there's just so many things I don't want to miss here. Um, first, uh, you grew up in Turkey. Can you just give us um, a sense of what it was like growing up in Turkey when you got to the United States and anything from your childhood that you think really helped contribute to who you are today? So I grew up in a very small village called Durlova in southeast part of Turkey, really mountainous rural area with, with, with the, the lowest income in the whole country, right? So that area is one of the most impoverished regions. 
It was also just after the 1980 military coup in Turkey. So there were also very strict economic sanctions. So like you, there were limits on how much you, you, like, you can produce in terms of your like, fields and uh, a lot of economic activities, activities were banned. So it was definitely a really tough area and also some decent amount of, kind of political kind of conflict. And as a result of this, government would actually force new grad teachers and doctors to work there, and but even most of them would quit, the, quit their jobs to avoid going there. So my village, the village like I was born, had like no teachers. So my, my parents eventually decided to move back to our village so that, and they became, like, my mom was the only teacher. And there were some other villages where like everybody, all the kids around different villages would come to our village. And there was this one kind of room schoolhouse and my mom was rotating between classes. She would teach first graders for 10 minutes and then switch to second graders 10 minutes, third graders and just uh, rotate back. So, but interestingly, so despite having such shortage of resources, it was also a very progressively minded region. Like there was a lot more like intense or like equality between men and women and education was really appreciated because, because there's really no other industry. Like this, there were apricot farms you can work at and or you have to get educated. So as a result, so my mom really kind of kindled a lot of people to get really well-educated. It wasn't just me. Sometimes people overly focus on me, but I think actually like the small amount of like education was really appreciated by people. And I was very personally interested in computer science, sorry, not computer science, like the mathematics and chess as a kind of child. So that those were my ticket to kind of get, come to essentially where I am. But um, I would say like the, like, I mean, I, I remember when we had telephones for the first time in our village. I remember when we had clean water for the first time. And like, uh, it's just a lot of those things actually came like in my lifetime and I'm only 37, right? So like, it wasn't, I much later in my life kind of really met internet and computers. And that, that was really big, like, pivot until point, uh, point in my life. Aaron, I would love to get a quick sense. Obviously, Udemy just recently went public, over 50 million users worldwide, which is truly, I mean, gobsmacking. It's amazing. What do you feel like you learned from the repeat founder that you've now been from Udemy that you've been able to bring to Carbon Health that has served you at being a better founder? The number one lesson for me was that you want, as a founder, what your company does has to really match your personal style. So jumping to carbon, I, I thought maybe I had all these different business ideas and different business models. But one thing I learned is I'm only good at businesses if you become successful by obsessing on the, on the customer, obsessing on the consumer. I'm never going to be good at enterprise software or some other things where you become successful so indirectly. I just need to do something where you become successful by, because individual consumers love the customer experience you provide. So, but also, I did a lot of things differently at, uh, at Carbon. For example, I wanted to become the CEO of the entire company. I, at Udemy, I was too focused on product and engineering, which was my comfort zone. So at Carbon, I wanted to become an A-star CEO. So I wanted to learn about finance and legal and operations and retail and customer experience. Essentially, every discipline, every discipline I respect and try to learn. And the other thing I actually personally made a big change is I realized if you build, want to build a very long-lasting organization with strong culture, 
you just cannot build that by just talking to people in a one-on-one basis. You just need to learn how to write well. You need to know how to present ideas well. So I spent a lot more time. I would say maybe 10 times more time in my personal CEO job in improving my writing skills, communication skills, presentation. I spend weeks thinking about how to, how I frame a new idea. Like, so I just think like once you're past the couple hundred people stage, you need a more scalable way to like scalable leadership methodology, which again is all about writing, communicate, like all about communication. So I really kind of, I, I double, I invest quite a bit on that, that area. Other than carbon, if you want to pay it forward to another early startup, maybe something you invested in that's really, really early, what's one other company we should know about? I, from my investments, I mean, I like all my investments, but uh, I like this company called Outlier.org in the education space. I think they've done a, uh, like they do high production uh, courses for college, like early college courses. Uh, Aaron, Aaron's the founder over there. He's, he's oh, you, you know, that company, but awesome. He is. Awesome. I'm a huge fan as well. I, I, I agree with you. Aaron, thank you so much for joining us today. Everybody out there, if you want to learn more about Carbon Health, you can check out carbonhealth.com. And you can join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project with Alexa Montobol. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alexa.